It's February 23rd, 2023. This is Rook. Hi there, rocking the old tunes. It's like it's a. That's great. <laughs> it's like it's from a thousand years ago. So. That's our rook theme that we were regularly using mm-hmm. before the uprising. Uh, there's really no reason why we stopped using it. Yeah. It just you know Revolution. didn't go. It didn't go with my uh, opening essays, but I got nostalgic hearing it like that. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like listening to an old. Uh, Super Tramp song, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, that was a band, by the way. I, yeah, I didn't yeah. know who that oh, was. Right. <laughs> Welcome to episode 241 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Nice to be talking to you. Hope you're keeping well. Wherever you are tuning in from around the world, hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam dustan aziz duru bashama hi pega. Hello. Uh, hello Shaya. Hi uh, Hi KNZ. <laughs> Nagin, who, listen, what are we going to do? I, on Monday, this coming Monday, the next show, we'll do a proper introduction for you because that's your big debut. But today you're uh, uh, behind the board and um, and uh, a new we've got a new recruit. Yeah, Pega. it's nice to have another female voice here. We're very excited. She's actually been uh, working on the show for a couple weeks, but uh, today we, we will s- slowly integrate her voice in. <laughs> Uh, see if people can tell the difference between her voice and Shia's voice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then uh, Monday we'll do the proper introduction. So today's show, uh, three musicians, mm-hmm. uh, me, Nagin, and Shia. <laughs> 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 um, so Majid Kazemi yeah. is uh, joining us from Dusseldorf, Germany. Uh, he's uh, a great songwriter and producer. Um left Iran in 2009. He's been very active when it comes to this uprising. He works with a lot of different artists. He attended that big demonstration in Brussels oh, wow. a few days ago. So he'll give us the uh, um, first-person account mm-hmm. of what that was like. Then Humana Javid, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, Humana Javid uh, actually lives in the greater Toronto area, but it's been a long time. We've been hoping to get him on the show. He's going to come into the Rook studio, mm-hmm. displacing you, Pega, yes. <laughs> uh, and so with his guitar um, for a conversation and a performance. You know, Humana's such an interesting guy. He's an he's a unassuming kind of guy, although more recently on Instagram and on mm-hmm. social media, he's had a few viral videos. The one that comes to mind is it was sort of early in the uprising. He said, uh, "Anybody in the Iranian community, remember yes, this? I anybody in this. the Iranian yeah. community outside of Iran that isn't actively supporting this revolution are sibzamini, are potatoes." Yeah, I remember seeing that. Actually. Yeah, and it got quite a bit of. Uh, I got quite a bit of. It went viral that video. But he's a, he's a great songsmith. He's an incredible singer, mm-hmm. and and you know we've never done the uh, before the uprising. We would have brought Human on and done the mm-hmm. proper yeah. life story because he was very very involved and um, integral to that uh, '90s burgeoning mm-hmm. rock music scene in Tehran, yes. the underground, uh, yes, very yes. underground, with our Sobhani and Baba Kamini, and um, so we'll talk a little bit about that, and then and then and then a lot about what he's doing these days with respect to the the revolution as a as a singer and a songwriter and a performer here in Canada. We live in the same kuche with Human Javid. 
You did? Yes, yes, yes. So like, Sorry, you're very close to your microphone. Oh, you, yeah. Okay. There you go. Well, that's okay. No, <laughs> he's never been this enthusiastic. I'm very, I'm very quiet <laughs> in my headphones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I think because Negin's on your traditional mic, right? <laughs> yes. So you yes. got this new one. You got the old the Reza mic. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Captain Reza mic. Uh, so, uh, what he lived in the same couche yes, in yes. Iran. Yes, yes. As you. Yes, like that's cool. Like the two numbers uh, further than our place. And he, he knew actually we practice in our place. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so uh, interesting. All these amazing musicians mm-hmm. uh, out of Iran of a certain vintage, they all know each other. Yeah. Like that. I mean, it either suggests that I'll ask who man about it, but suggests that the community was very, very small mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. we just have the best come on because they all kind they of all know each have other, worked yeah. with each other. And have you, uh, Negin, you're a musician, uh, although you're a lot younger. Um, than the likes of Shia. <laughs> are, are you, uh, uh, do you, have you ever heard of Human Javid? I actually um, have kind of because of Kiyosk and because of Arash Sopani. That's right, you have friends in Kiyosk and so yeah. Yes, you I'm just a big fan of his, so. Right. Love his music. Who are we talking about? Alright, so Oh, I see. Is here yet? <laughs> are there people, other people, you're fans of that are not Human Javid that you'd like to speak about before he comes in? <laughs> Listen, Human Javid. Wait till you hear. He's going to sing in the studio. I'm he's, excited. He's got. Can't he's, wait. he's really got a golden mm-hmm. voice. Oh yeah. He's got an amazing. You know, he's. It's funny, you know, I think he's an architect or an engineer. It's one of those things where in Iran, <laughs> yeah. you can't make a career as a musician, yeah. so you go and get, you know, so, um, but, and, he, and like I say, he's kind of an unassuming guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't prance around like a rock star. This guy's voice, Human's voice, I think, is one of the best around. No in terms doubt, of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the singer of No Doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and then Gelare Shemani. Mm-hmm. Will be joining us. Uh, she was on the show, actually in the in the week in a week or two after Masai. I mean, he was killed. Galara came on. Um, Galara's got kind of an amazing story of her own, where mm-hmm. she was um, wanted to be was a was a musician, was a singer, recording artist in Iran. First song comes out, gets banned by the wow. Islamic Republic, is in jail, uh, leaves Iran, has to leave Iran, and has lived in all these countries around the world, mm-hmm. and then ended up in the United States, I think just last year, right? I uh, think she's so, pretty yes. new to the to, to North America. Um, she was so passionate about this uprising when we spoke to her in September. We're gonna catch up with where she's at now. Mm-hmm. She's got a new song that we're gonna debut at the end of this show, and um, uh, she was also at that big, Los Angeles rally okay. on February 11th. So we'll get to all of that with Gelare Shebani, three musicians, the sounds of change today. Pega? I honestly, I don't know any other country who has this many musicians with this many stories of imprisonment and running away and being banned and all of these things. I mean, what a distinction. It just Isn't it great? <laughs> Look at our country. I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't label it great, but it's yeah. just, it's so mind-blowing and so, um, I don't, I don't know what the right word for it is. I'm I'm in awe of all of them, really. Every one of their stories is See, just See, now amazing. I was I was going to say that I mean I did say that I'm not going to integrate Nagin into this conversation into our show yet. Mm-hmm. A proper introduction on on Monday. <laughs> but you were into music before you left Iran, right? Yes, absolutely. And you left Iran 8 years ago? 8 years ago. And you were a teenager when you left, right? Yeah. So what did you 
did you rec- did you understand that it's it that a, a career in music was just not something that was going to be available to you especially as a woman in your own and and was that part of the precipitant for leaving that's that was actually my personal main reason for leaving because i wanted to do music and i had somehow managed to convince my parents that i love music that much to actually want to pursue it and they knew, I mean, everyone knows that for women over there, it's hard to pursue it as a singer, especially if you want to be the one who's doing your own music. Yeah. So So it's pretty heartbreaking. You're a kid in Iran, yeah. not that long ago. You're a teenager, you know, a, a few years ago, and, and, you're, and the thing that you love, mm-hmm. you realize you can't do without leaving your friends, leaving your extended family, leaving the country that you've grown up in. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it is heartbreaking, but... You know, I try to think of it as an opportunity and as a way for me to grow because there is also... If you could make it here. If I could make it, yeah. For those who don't make it, who can't get to Canada, it's not such an opportunity. Yeah. It was heartbreaking, but I think right now being in a community of Iranian artists, again, it sort of makes me happy to see everyone kind of doing what they love, even though they're not in their own country. They're still pursuing their dreams and their passions, and it's... It's nice to see. Nicely said. Yeah. yeah. There you go. See, the KNZ. <laughs> uh, <laughs> doing well. Your first uh, first time on the microphone here. Is it distinguishable the, her voice and mine? Mm. <laughs> Actually, she sounds a lot smarter. Other than that, it's, of course, yes. the voice sounds the same. <laughs> Um, we're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's uh, there that you can link to all of our platforms. We're on an ongoing mission to build this new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Castbox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. The handle is always Rook Media. And if you go to our website, rookmedia.com, you can. Uh, help support us by pressing the support us button and go to our new patreon page where you can be a bronze silver or gold member mm-hmm. and uh one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to start shouting out the people who join and become rook members as part of our patreon uh it's it's a minimum uh, subscription per month and it helps keep us alive so if you're a regular listener especially we encourage you to be uh, rook members and we're going to give you, we're going to give back as much as we can to those of you who join us and become Rook members. So today I wanted to give a shout out to uh, our new bronze member, Saeed Khalese Hosseini. Khalese Hosseini. Yes. Wow. Mm. It's like two last names put together. Yeah. Maybe. Hosseini. Is it? Do you think it's Khale like the, the aunt I of Hosseini? I think Khales Hosseini, maybe. Uh huh. Khales Hosseini. Yeah. Yeah. There's an e between the s and the h, but maybe I don't say it as Khales Hosseini. <laughs> yeah. Khales Hosseini. There, there is an e though, so I would have pronounced it the same way as you did. But if you don't have the e, then it's Khales Hosseini. So okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's Khales Hosseini. Said Hosseini, who's now. Said, let us know how you pronounce he's your either, last name. He's either super excited that we spread this yeah. mission, or he's he's or canceled he's saying, his bronze membership. Or he's saying yeah. we butchered his last name. He's one like, or the other. That's enough of them. I will never listen again. And Farhud SM, yes. also a bronze member. Oh. On uh, do you think that's Farhud who yes. used to write to us? Yes, I'm sure. He was the best. Yes. Uh, when we used to do our um, letters of the mm-hmm. the week, we got to, we should start doing that again. Farhood's letters, if this is the same Farhood, 
I'm pretty much sure that it's the same family. Mm. He doesn't. He's he's no Chalas Hussein. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Now we need both of them to reach out to us right. and let us know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anyway, bronze members, uh, Rook members on our Patreon. Again, if you go to rookmedia.com, press the support us button, you can become a Rook member and on our Patreon account. And we really, really appreciate those of you who are joining up. It really helps us out. All right, let's get to the uh, Rook roundtable and go over some talking points from this week. We've got Shia, we've got Nagin, we've got um, Pega here. So, so I guess you guys... You were saying you wanted to talk about this, uh, Pega, but it was it, it was impossible to miss uh, today in the social media over the last twenty four hours. These photos of this Swiss ambassador yeah. to Iran, this woman who has gone to Iran, like, and and is full hijab, full like mandatory outfit, running around with the well, not running around, walking around with mm-hmm. officials in Iran. Uh, this felt to me like a an unmitigated and unnecessary provocation. Like it was really conspicuous. Like mm-hmm. what is this Swiss ambassador doing? Anyway, there's been tremendous outrage at this, yeah. you know, uh, in the diaspora. And it's one thing to say, hey, you know, help us out, pull that, you know, close your embassies, bring mm-hmm. back your ambassadors, put the IRGC on the terrorist list. Another that to have somebody going to Iran and doing this so what do you what do you make of this Pega? i mean i i'm just i'm baffled i don't even know what to make of it i mean here we are talking about how women in iran are being beaten raped and killed for simply protesting the compulsory hijab and then you have this woman um who is like you mentioned the swiss ambassador and is taking has taken a trip to iran and Actually, let me backtrack for a second. Not only has she taken a trip to Iran, where these photos were taken, she was on a day trip to the city of Rom, which is one of the most religious cities in the country. And Do we know why? She yeah, actually, okay. I, I was going to mention, the reason that she had taken this day trip was to learn more about the Islamic arts, culture, and architecture of Iran. Wow. That, that That's what, what the trip timing. was for. Exactly, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, Okay, fine. The trip, for whatever reason, timing, whatever, all that aside. But for her to be wearing a black chador, Mm. which is a head-to-toe covering, for anyone who's not familiar with what Mm. a chador is. It's not just a rusari. No, it's It's not not just a headscarf. It's not just a headscarf. Yeah, exactly. Which I'm I'm imagining she doesn't need to actually wear this, right? No, I mean, there's been other, you know. She's a Western. Yeah, the picture actually is in the... Like Haram uh, Hazratam it's yeah. like uh, um, a shrine. Yeah, a shrine. So in in those places, you have to wear. Oh, chador. Okay. Yeah. okay. But it doesn't have to. Okay, this is the thing. It doesn't have to be a black chador because it's yes. my understanding. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but a black chador is the ultimate hijab, the ultimate symbol of what the hijab represents mm. and, and and all of that. I mean, and deference to the Islamic Republic. That's right. right. Yeah. And I mean, at those same places, yes, you're supposed to wear a chador, but it could be white it could have flowers on it it could have you know it doesn't have to be that and that i think wasn't was a statement more than anything else and given the timing i mean the outrage i think is not only just but you know it's so were you gonna say something no i mean it's just (laughs) sad and also uh, uh, swiss because usa doesn't have any embassy in iran so swiss is a representative of united states in iran so that also this is the kind of thing that telegraphs to the Iranian community um, in such a profound way, in a way that I dare say 
non-Iranians don't totally understand, mm-hmm. especially there's sort of left-wing ideologues in the West who would go, oh, well, this is a Western person who's going to a Middle Eastern country right. and being respectful yes. and doing what they are suggesting their headdress or whatever, you know, none of which has anything to do with this moment where there's literally, you know, a desperate humanitarian crisis and uprising happening in Iran and this person is going flagrantly basically saying we don't i I don't give a fuck about Mm -hmm. the surveys that show that almost all of you want this regime gone and hate it and you know uh think this is terrorism i'm gonna go and waltz around wearing a full hijab and be on the official swiss dime as the ambassador Mm -hmm. while i do it it's very very weird to me there's some weird stuff happening the whole Iran international thing, I did an essay about it on mm-hmm. Monday. That's weird to me. Mm-hmm. That a network, like I don't totally get it. I, I you know, that, that w- like what's going on? What, what, what is, if, if, if I were, if I were to be a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> I, you know, I would say like it's, it's not an entire stretch to say it's almost like there's a, there's a, a campaign Mm-hmm. to want to engage with this regime, for the West to engage with this regime, to resuscitate the nuclear deal, mm-hmm. to get all, back to all of that. And so these are all little steps to be part of that. I mean, I, 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 I have no idea why this Swiss ambassador would be, she can't be unaware of what's well, going on. Well, that's what I was gonna so say. So it's a statement of support exactly. for the regime from Switzerland. What, what Out of all what's places, happening? yeah, yeah. Did you have a response to this, Nagin, when you saw it? I just think it's very disappointing, honestly, to see to see that to see that people are still like countries are still wi- they're willing to show their support in an indirect way, yeah, and not willing to own up to what they're doing, kind yeah. of just brushing it aside. Yeah, I think that's why it was it's reverberated so mm-hmm. so much so in the Iranian community because it's again it's not. It's it's one step beyond not showing support for the revolution. That's exactly it. Or not actually doing taking an action. It's the opposite. It's a very right? deliberate show of support for the Islamic Republic, I think, actually. Yeah. I mean, that said, it's meaningless, okay? A yeah. woman went to Iran It's just disheartening, the, yeah, I think, more than anything yeah, else. Yeah. And, and perhaps is indicative of where things are at mm-hmm. right now vis-a-vis the West and Europe and uh, w- with respect to Iran. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, what you were saying about being a conspiracy theorist or, or approaching that. You got a conspiracy? Um, you got a no, good well, conspiracy? Well, not a conspiracy, but w- w- one of the other points I wanted to bring up and, you know, we'll just go into it is that article that came out in the Telegraph yesterday. Um, there was an article that the headline read, Joe Biden diplomats trying to block UK plan to proscribe IRGC as terror oh, group. Right. And then... So just for anyone who hasn't seen the article or read it, essentially the article discussed the idea that U.S. diplomats... This is a a British paper. Yes, this is a British paper called The Telegraph. And um, the article was discussing the idea that U.S. diplomats are pressuring the U.K. government not to formally declare the IRGC as a terrorist group. And the argument behind that was that the UK can play a key role in future negotiations with Iran as some sort of mediator or middleman, let's say. So what happened when this article was written is that the Telegraph, the the newspaper or magazine, I'm not sure, um, they actually, they approached um, the U.S. State Department to make sure that, you know, it was fine that they were writing it. And the U.S. State Department gave them the go-ahead. 
Now today, the U.S. State Department spokesperson, <laughs> Ned Price, came out and issued this blanket denial, basically saying, you know, this is ridiculous, and why would we have said that this was okay, especially given that um, in 2019 we had put the IRGC ourselves as a terrorist organization. So, I don't know, take what you will from that in terms of conspiracy theories, but yet another thing that's very odd given well, the circumstances. Well, one thing we know is that the U.S. is certainly not clear-cut mm-hmm. on not going ahead with the nuclear deal. Yes. All we hear is little tidbits here and there that there's a desire for engagement still with this regime. So mm-hmm. what, are we, what are we to conclude? I mean, uh, this is, you know, it's more, it's more confusion. Yeah, a it's lot more, more confusion. It's more gray, you know, unclear matter. Um, what else have you got? What else did you want to, what's on your mind? Um, for the, well, before we move on to the next thing, one more point I want to add about confusion is um, in the same article it pointed to um, the EU noting going back to their decision about not listing the IRGC and mm-hmm. waiting for a legal determination mm-hmm. from a European court. By the way so the irony being the IRGC is on the terrorist list in the US. That's right yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it none of it makes sense. I mean here you are there's a UK newspaper saying blaming the US in one way or another saying that they're the ones preventing them but before the UK had said no we're actually waiting for some sort of a court situation and it's just the EU none of it said that. the yeah, eu yeah. had said that but none of it adds up mm-hmm. absolutely none of it adds up so well it does add up to a bunch of phony excuses well yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. but that's exactly what it is is that you know joseph <laughs> joseph yeah that is, was is, it. is that his name joseph that, that's what we're calling him uh, that's what we're calling him or where did no, that come na- from the joseph i mistakenly said oh, joseph okay, one okay, day oh, because right. i was getting heated with no let's call know, him joseph then but yeah. we'll call him joseph, joseph. Yeah. we don't even need his last name anymore no that's just it. uh joseph burrell becomes joseph, joseph yeah. that's it uh <clears throat> okay all right um But yeah, moving on, another point that I wanted to discuss, and you know, I think I've brought this up numerous times um, over the course of the roundtable, and it's actually something that, I don't know, I've become even more passionate about it in light of the last five months or so. Mm -hmm. And that's just the the further evidence of economic turmoil in Iran. I mean, I've been reading some insane statistics the last few days. Um, Inflation has reached a record, 53.4% now in Iran. Um, It's gotten to the point that the US dollar has climbed to more than 500,000 riyal. Um, That's a 60% decline since August. Food prices have risen 70%, which is the highest record. Since when, 70%? Um, I think since... Since the, the last the like, beginning six of time, <laughs> I wish <laughs> the last six that, months that would have been wonderful if it was the beginning of time. Right. Um, necessities, I mean, meat has had an inflation rate of ten point five percent. I mean, I, I it's no wonder that people are saying that uh. they can't put food on the table, and you know, it's just that the country is in so much turmoil. Why are you? You said you're passionate about this. What part of that are you passionate? I about? mean, it's one thing for us to sit and talk about. Um, the atrocities of the regime. And, you know, it's something that I don't think any Iranian is a stranger to. But at the very least, regardless of whatever political ideologies you have or sides that you may take or whatever else, at at the basic, uh, the most basic levels, these are your people. I mean, for God's sakes, you you can't even deal with the economic issues so that people can have access to the basic necessities like food. Yeah. Yeah, when um, one of our voices in Iran, uh, when we had our voices from inside Iran, the latest part in that Mm -hmm. series last Thursday, I think it was Behkol in um, Shiraz. Monday. Oh, was it? 
Was we, it? We don't need to actually. It was the last. What episode. day is today? Thursday. Oh, it was Monday. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, sorry. They used to be on Thursdays. Yeah. Uh, Bechol said, uh, uh, you know, she added that to she she because I was saying, you know, um, the re- all the reasons she wants the regime gone. Mm-hmm. She said, I can't make ends meet. Yeah. And this. I mean, the dysfunction of this regime also includes economically. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a mess, right? It is. It's a mess. So unless you're in a certain tier of society at the top uh, in Iran, you're inevitably going to be suffering, right? Well, and that tier is shrinking every single day because, you know, I mean, for years we've heard about the fact that the middle class in Iran has been shrinking yes. gradually. Yes. But that change has shifted to such a, it, it's shifted so quickly in the last few years and especially in the last six seven months that that middle class almost doesn't exist anymore it's almost you're either you know like Bechol said you can't make ends meet or you're part of this very very select mm-hmm. tier of individuals who are still being able to who are going to the luxury malls that's right exactly are, are you hearing anything about this from your yeah I mean, peeps in uh, Iran you guys that's what uh, actually can't adding to what uh, Pega said there is some places in Tehran, uh, in, in, interestingly, I just saw today, I, ju- I just saw an ad- advertisement. Some places in Tehran, in like North and Tehran, very elite spaces, uh, the um, price for a house is literally more expensive than Manhattan. Literally. Wow. <laughs> and, so it's, and then people cannot eat meat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The only silver lining to this mm. is that historically, economic turmoil in the midst of movements and revolutions and things like that is actually adds fuel to the fire. So sure. that's the that's yeah. the only silver lining. Well, that's the in argument for sanctions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, there's a uh, before we get to Majid Kazemi, our first guest in uh, who's in Dusseldorf. There's a couple of I thought it was interesting. A couple of people I wanted to add have been sentenced to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them we just heard about this afternoon is the daughter of former Iranian president uh, Rafsanjani. That's right. Right? What do, what's the story with her? Um, she's been sentenced to five years in prison for criticizing the Iranian regime. I think she's indicted of propaganda against the establishment and insulting the sanctities of the country. Um, but she's she's always been outspoken. I mean, well, always in the last couple of years I think Fawaz right yes Fawaz Hashemi she's been um, so I thought Hashemi was his first name oh really no. I always thought it was Hashemi <laughs> Rafsanjani oh. like you know but it's but it's I guess that's Akbar, not Hashemi yeah, Akbar Hashemi Rafsanjani so Hashemi Rafsanjani is both names are his last name yes alright Rafsanjani is the place that he came from Hashemi is a very common like last name and mm. Rafsanjani is the place that he came from so Hashemi from Rafsanjani. Khalas Hosseini. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so she's insulted the sanctities. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's kind of a big deal. Is it, you know, these regime figures, I mean, well, of course, we had the example of Khamenei's only own mm-hmm. family, family member as well. To have these progeny, these younger people, of who come from the families of mm-hmm. significant regime leaders, figures, etc., um, being jailed is it's got it's got to be a, a bit of a doomsday signal for the the regime, no? I mean, in a way, but the other thing is, I'm almost not surprised by anything from this regime, like the the way that they beat, murder, kill, imprison, you know, everything. It it's they'll silence anyone know, who goes against them. It doesn't matter yeah, who. Sure. So. But it's like Game of Thrones. Once you, 
once you're going after your own family members, you yeah. know, the end maybe nigh. And the other one was a, a woman named Fatima Seperi. Mm-hmm. Tell us about her. Um, she's an outspoken critic of the regime and activist, actually. She's been sentenced to 18 years in prison. Um, she actually publicly called for um, Khamenei's resignation, which is one of the many reasons why she's been um, uh, sentenced to those 18 years. And she was, she's was she been detained so many times, um, including, actually, right at the beginning of, I think it was around September 21st, so just a week or so after the murder of uh, Masa Amini. But... From day one, she's been, you know, vocal and she's been a critic of the regime mm. and everything that they've done. So, so there's been all this attention paid on these people, these political prisoners who've been released, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes dubiously released uh, in the last two or three weeks. Uh, it's really a, re- a revolving door, mm-hmm. right? It's like they release some and, and it makes space for others that they're going to yeah. put in jail. It's not. It doesn't. There's no real trend of opening up or something like that I mean uh, not that there, anybody expects that there is but no and I think that's one of the tactics of the regime actually is that there's there's no trend no logic no nothing no pattern there's nothing that you can you know pinpoint to say that you know they've released X amount of prisoners and now they're going to arrest X amount of prisoners there's right. no there's just nothing there that you can that works with logic let's, <laughs> let's get to our guests yes. uh, Humana Javid is uh I'm waiting to come into the yes, studio. I will. Uh, and, uh, well, no, hang on, because we've got Majid. You got Majid? Oh, yes, yes, okay. Oh, okay. Um, thank you, Pega. Thank you, Shia. Thank, thank you, you Negin. Uh, let's get to. Um, so, before we get to our first guest in studio, uh, which will be Human, I, I want to go to Dusseldorf. Sorry. I want to go to Dusseldorf for a check in with a. He's really a stellar Iranian musician and songwriter who was in Brussels for that major demonstration this past week. Majid Kazemi was born and raised in Tehran. He started playing santur and tombak from an early age and then took interest in playing the guitar. In 2009, Majid moved to Cologne, Germany to continue his lifelong passion of music. Since then, he's collaborated with many prominent Iranian artists, including Shahi Najafi, Leila Farouhar, um, Iraj Janati Atayi. Uh, Majid has been very active since the beginning of the uprising and participated in huge rallies in Toronto and in Berlin. And as I say, this week he was involved in that major protest that happened in Brussels. So right now, Majid Kazemi joins us from Dusseldorf, Germany. Hello, sir. Hello, Jianjian. Thank you to having me. How are you? Nice to hear your voice, albeit from afar. This has actually turned into a, a, a show of, of musicians. We have Humana Javid coming up and Gelare Shebani and, uh, and you here first. So uh, well, there's a lot, of, a lot of musical talent on this program, and I'm glad to have you as part of it. Thank you very much. It was nice to see you in Toronto. And the show was not aired for some reason. Well, I, I should explain to the audience. I, I, I was actually uh, saying the Pega before we went to air here that that we did, uh, as you will recall, and as I recall, uh, and, and our whole team knows, we did a an interview that I actually loved. We did a an hour and a half interview with you, your whole story here in the Rook Studio. You performed a couple of songs. Uh, it was great. It was. It happened to be the week of or the week before Mass I mean, he was killed. It was. It was in mid September that we did this in Toronto. And of course, as soon as that happened, and we ended up changing our programming um 
it it was immediately, as with anything that we recorded before that mid-September moment, it was outdated because it would seem absurd to bring somebody as thoughtful and you know politically aware as you on the show and not ask you about mass ammunition. So we couldn't run the interview. So it's just sitting there. Do you think that uh, an important event was coming, like a revolution? <laughs> well, it's it's a testament, isn't it, Magic John, to to how big an impact this has had on, uh, I mean, even if you were to say whatever happens from here on in, and of course we we all hope that the revolution is complete, the, the regime is toppled sooner rather than later, but, but even if we just take the last six months, it has profoundly changed Iranian lives forever, would you say? Yes, of, absolutely. It's it's changed. The time has changed, and the the mood of the per, uh, in person. I talk with my friends, and uh, you know, I'm so glad. And I was uh, really, uh, I, my hope was gone. And after this uh, uh, story of Mahsa Amini, as everything's changed, and uh, on one side, I'm I'm so happy for for us. We we are wake waked up, and for other side, I'm so. Uh, sad and uh, because of the so many uh, friends of mine, so many people in, uh, in Iran uh, are in jail, is, is is killed and tortured, and everything happens so badly. Yeah, but uh, we are uh, not the same person as before. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's very well said. And listen, let me let me say for the record, for, I hope you come back to Toronto soon and let's do that full interview again. And this time include a number of songs that you've recorded in, in recent months that uh, are dedicated to the uprising, uh, an, a, a number yeah. of actions that you've taken. But um, we wanted to just have a quick hit with you today to talk about Brussels, because despite the fact that you live in Germany, I guess you decided that it was important enough for you to, to go to Brussels Brussels um, earlier this week for that big demonstration that happened. First of all, tell us why you decided to go. Yeah, you know, um, in Europe, the the stands are so close together, and uh, this is a we have this chance to go uh, somewhere like Brussels or Berlin or, or uh, the, the close cities to us to uh, show us and show to the world uh, we are here. We are Iranian people, and we're screaming our revolution. You know, this, this chance is may, maybe it's just once for us and we, uh, we have no idea what's happened tomorrow. Um, because of that, I think I should go if I have, uh, if I have a not so uh, busy day with uh, my music and appointments. Right. And uh, I make my plan and make my, my decision. I go there. And what was your, what was your impression of the... Um, of the of this demonstration, I, I heard that there was uh, by by a couple of days later, by midweek uh, yesterday, they were saying there was uh, about twenty thousand people there, which would be a lot. I mean, Brussels itself, I don't think has a huge Persian community, Iranian community. So this would be a bunch of people like yourself who had descended upon the, uh, Brussels from different parts of Europe. What was your sense of the of the day there? Yeah. Um yeah, we were a little bit late there, but uh, I was uh, I was on the street uh, because it, it was a big rally, and my first time I saw so many Iranian people outside of Iran was in Toronto last time, uh, but this time I saw the, the same people and same uh, moods and activities there for Iranian people second time in in Brussels, and. Um, 
It was very peaceful, and and I I never believed that so many Iranian people. I it was a real very uh, very cold day, and a very windy day, and uh, but they were all there and very peaceful, and uh, it was amazing. Um, uh, Majid, you were you went to that? Did you go to that big big rally that was in Berlin? Yes. So the that one was characterized by, I mean, that was a huge moment for our global community because uh, even though we'd done something like that in Toronto, Berlin was even more. It was a hundred thousand people, and the idea was that it was it was a demonstration of unity. Did Brussels feel the same way at this point? A few months later, did you did you feel um, a positive sense of of unity in that crowd? Yes, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I think uh, the people are now uh, uh, feel more comfortable with revolution. And I remember that uh, the first days of the revolution, I saw so many people. They they try to uh, have a mask, a corona mask, and and uh, and because they they had this this uh, this fear of of Islamic Republic. What's uh, what they done in in all all the countries. But uh, this time, uh, it was a uh, very, uh, very interesting for me. Nobody used a mask, and they learning uh, and they teaching each other, and it it was really interesting for, um, for me this time. Um, and and uh, this was one where I guess uh, Masiel and Ajad was there, as well as Hamid Ismailoun. Yes, and Hamid Ismailoun was there, and uh, uh, Mrs. Um, Dario Safoi and uh, Ali Akhundi. Uh, there was yeah, there was a number. Ali Akhundi yeah. and uh, Mr. Bashir Tosh. Yeah, they were there, and uh, uh, two, th- uh, three uh, rappers were there. Uh, were there, and they performed on stage. Yeah, very good organized, and and the organization were were really good. Majid, as somebody who is sitting in Europe, I sometimes talk about on this program that uh, even with respect to the diaspora, that we have so much in common everywhere in the diaspora. But we do, at this point, when we're talking about the uprising and what's happening in the streets in the diaspora, we have a very North American perspective here, um, very Toronto-centric, of course, because we're here in Toronto and we got all the demonstrations here. From the perspective of Europe, from Germany, where you are right now, uh, do you? What is your take on where the momentum of things are at? I mean, there there has been some hand wringing, uh, some concern that uh, after a few months now that things have died off a little bit. There isn't the same kind of intention and and um, commitment that there there was, say, in October or November, to getting out there, to demonstrating, to showing solidarity, to to keeping our governments in check, or trying to get you know embassies closed or whatever it might be. What's your perspective from inside Germany? Um, in Europe, uh, they are very busy with the story of the uh, war uh, in Ukraine, and they know uh, the uh, Ukraine war is is uh, very complicated now because it's affected to uh, the, all the economic things here. And uh, what I think. Uh, is for example they want to uh, it was our, our uh, slogan to put IRGC to terrorists for example yes last time and uh, still uh, still we want to but uh, 
we see and hear um, uh, um, in, in the news, they are not ready for that. Because, you know, I think they have a communication, they have the, uh, uh, they have the, uh, the possibility to uh, uh, make uh, still money from Islamic Republic, uh, the European uh, government and countries. And uh, plus the Ukraine war with Russia. I think these, these uh, all stories make decision for the Europeans uh, very harder as before. But this revolution, the explosion of this revolution is so big. And if you talk now about Iran, all the people talking about it, they know exactly what's happened and what's going on in Iran and what's going on in outside of Iran. It's a very different time now. The sounds of change from a, a yeah. man, a man who creates great sounds. Um, before I let you go, let me ask you: Are are you personally as positive um, and enthusiastic about the possibility of change sometime relatively soon as you would have been, say, three or four months ago? Um, yes, yes, I feel uh, this this revolution is not just against the Islamic Republic. It's against the, the old-fashioned uh, things. You know, it's, it's changed the whole mind, and I think I'm, I'm very positive, and I think this change uh, is, is necessary for Iranian people and necessary for a whole world. And it brings, really, if, if, if we're looking for peace, I think the peace goes through Iranian revolution. Mm. It's good to talk to you, brother. I've got um, um, Humana Javid coming into, into our studio in a few moments as a bridge to get there uh, with Human yeah. coming in. I want to play Say a little- best regards to human i will we'll tell him right now i i i want to as a as a bridge though play a little bit of a of, of a piece that you put out in november yeah, as an homage to too much salahi who's still currently in yeah, prison anyway yeah. it's a it's actually Shirali a folk Mardun. song yeah shirley mardun yeah. and you've done a, a rearrangement of it you want to tell us something about yeah. this as we play it yes uh shirley mardun uh it's one of, um, I think, one of the um, most beautiful Iranian melodies. It's uh, come from uh, uh, Loristan and Bakhtiari. And uh, I heard this melody several times, um, and it was uh, always in my head to make something for this, uh, for this melody. I rearrange it and change it, everything, and make it in some something deep house mood. Uh, and I played setar on it and mix everything together. And I, I was ready to release that. And the story of too much Saleh is, is happened. And too much is uh, come from Bakhtiari side of Iran. And uh, the, the Bakhtiari side of Iran has so many, uh, uh, so many uh, stories. And uh, one of the stories is Ali Mardan Khan, uh, who is uh, banned and was in jail in, in, in and uh, I think it, this story is a uh, hundred years ago, and is killed in the jail. And uh, I thought, okay, uh, we are in the same situation, and uh, his story uh, uh, is um, one one more time. We we read and we see his story, and uh, the too much at this moment was for me the Shirali Mardun, and 
I finished the track and make a, a cover art it's too much as a, a very nice picture on a, on a um, horse and uh, I it changed it with my um, my Photoshop to mm. too much say and stand and in background we see the Maidan uh, Azadi uh, and Tehran and Iran and I changed the form of the, this picture and put it, my music on it and I think too much is Shir Ali Madun now uh, in our time beautifully said um, we'll play a little bit of it right now Majid Kazemi thank you brother hope to talk to you and see you in person soon thank you Zian John hope to see you soon bye 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 taste of the reimagined re-recorded remixed version of the old uh, Persian folk song uh, Shir Ali Mardun that's Majid Kazemi's version of that and an homage to Tumaj Salehi uh, Majid released that in November he does such interesting work nice to have him on the program this is Rook episode 241 the sounds of change my next guest has walked into the Rook studio with his guitar he is a talented Iranian Canadian singer musician guitarist who had a viral Instagram video in the fall where he declared any Iranians outside of Iran who were not helping to support this revolution are potatoes it it was a popular sentiment and didn't even involve his remarkable singing voice. Humana Javid was born and raised in Tehran, grew up under this uh, Islamic Republic. He started playing classical guitar when he was a teenager and by the 1990s was also singing and ended up performing and recording with underground musicians such as Arash Sobhani and Ramin Behna and playing in a band called Raza Shab. At the same time, Human got his MA in architecture, but music was his passion. And when prevented from performing in public or publishing his music with, without regime consent, he moved to Canada in 2014, also to provide a better life for his young family. Since basing himself in North America, Human has performed on stage in dozens of live concerts, including at prestigious festivals. He recently recorded a version of the song Motaham, or The Defendant, as part of his musical contribution to the uprising and right now i'm very pleased to have human javid joining me in the rook studio hello sir hello hello dear Gian. How long time coming we wanted you here for a long time absolutely you're me too, too busy you don't have time for us <laughs> no it's not like that you're too busy too so <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it, a great pleasure. it's really good to have you here and it's good Thank to you. you've also brought your guitar yes and uh you know, I know you as as having the spectacular voice, and uh, you're a great Thank guitarist. You. Any any time you want to jump in with anything musical, by the <laughs> end of the interview, I'm going to ask you to play something. But anytime you want to play something, by by all means, do so. Um, sure. Human John, let me let me just start with this. I actually want to ask you a little bit about your story, sure. um, because it's not 
as with most Iranians, it's not unrelated to this current regime in Iran and what's happening in terms of the desire for regime change. But let me ask you a general question to begin. What has the current uprising over the last six months meant to you personally? I can hear the voices of a generation, mostly a young generation, that they are trying to say they are more brave. They are braver than us, and they are tra- trying to say what we are trying to do that or saying that since '80s, because my teenage times was in '80s. So the only way that we could just, you know, living a life, a rebellious life, or saying what we want to say was in music, in underground music. Or sharing the cassettes, you know, those times there were no CDs, so sharing the cassettes in the in the school while other people, I mean, uh, they were more focused on uh, lessons and you know on governmental arts, the theater, you know, all those things that were all through the channels of the government and in the school and those things. Sure. But we did the best to live the life the way that we wanted. So. At that time, there were no internet, nothing. But there were people who were older than us, like older brothers or sisters of our friends. And also all those, uh, respecting them, all those, uh, um, I can say, small companies that used to uh, be distributors Mm. of the music from the Shah's time. Mm. But when the revolution happened, they continued their job underground, mm. and lots of them were in, uh, you know, they were in trouble, and they were detained, and uh, their jobs were canceled, the companies were canceled. So we used to, uh, you know, get ourselves uh, updated for the music. Mm-hmm. At that time, uh, the only thing that we could do was the way that we just lived our life, our appearances, the way that we. Um, that we selected our clothes and our outfits and the music we listened and in underground. Let me just stop you for music. a second. Yeah. This is interesting. Uh, I mean, I said I want to ask you about your past, but I actually asked, what does the current uprising mean to you? And you started talking about the 80s and 90s. It's a very personal response. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You you feel a connection. Yes. Uh, I mean, I guess a lot of Iranians would say something like this, but but what those kids, as you say, are doing in Iran today to, to try and create change, you feel is deeply connected to your experience in the 80s and 90s. Absolutely. So if someone didn't knew nothing about Iran, how would you draw that connection? How would you say it's connected? I can say uh, they are the echoes of our voices. They are like, they are preparing gates or black holes or whatever to the time that we lived there. And because at that time, it was right during the war with Iraq. So the situation of the country, which is in war, you know, um, is more militarized. So mm-hmm. uh, the atmosphere was so, um, I mean, in a way that you could not, you, you didn't dare to add something, you know, you know to that. Extremely hegemony. Yes, yes, absolutely, extremely. So uh, we just... We just did what we could do, and we sent it to uh, the atmosphere in our wishes and whatever I can remember from that time. Mm. And it looks like from this time. Have you have you watched the movie Contact? Uh, yes, yeah. I have. Yeah, 
Yeah, it it, it it was showing somehow some echoes from the from the outer space. Yes, that showed uh, some pictures from the times of Nazis that uh-huh. they were sending some. You know, yes. all those yes. people were sending some. Uh, I mean, um, something like a message to outer space, mm. and that was the the time was spent maybe more than forty to fifty yeah. years that if it was received by them and answered by them yeah so i could tell maybe the space got our message and answered us but it took time maybe the internet the media not maybe for sure the internet and media helps helped and uh the the young people of these days they are seeing everything when you say they're braver mm-hmm. i mean i have i'm of two minds of this now because um most most people uh, and they say it in order to give credit to the young people in Iran, mm-hmm. especially with the brave young women, for example, mm-hmm. they say they're so much braver than we were. Yes. You know? uh, and because they're literally willing to die uh, and you know, putting themselves out there, and, and, uh, and we've interviewed some of them on this show. You know, we do this, uh, our series, Voices from Inside Iran, where we talk to these young people who are on the front lines, and they say, look, I'm, I'm willing to go and if they kill me, I, they kill me. I don't want to live this life anymore. Mm-hmm. That said... When I think about the 1980s, I mean the period after the revolution where, first of all, an extremely brutal period where there's executions happening, the Khomeinists have co-opted and consolidated power, there's the war with Iraq, Mm -hmm. there's young kids being sent to the front lines of the war. And to be fair, there was some support for the Islamic regime at that time too. So there wasn't a lot of bandwidth for a 16-year-old to, to get out in the streets and do much at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as I want to give the, the bravery credit to the kids today, you couldn't really do that back in the 80s and 90s, could you? No, 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 we couldn't. You know, I can say, maybe we could say that uh, this objection to what was happening in our country uh, was living through stages. The first stage, which was, I mean, uh, mostly... Uh, in, communica- in, in connection to our parents who were in their 30s or 40s those days, they just wanted to survive. Mm-hmm. Some people just got out of the country. Those were there. They wanted to survive and just hang sure. on in a way that the quality of life stays the way it was before. For us as teenagers, we were trying to just keep up to the culture that we were living in. So whether it was listening to the music that our fathers or our older brothers or sisters Mm -hmm. gave us, or the appearance or the parties. So we were in somehow in preliminary stage. And by the way, we're we're of a similar vintage. You know, Mm. when I when I remember being a little kid and the revolution happening, that the nineteen seventy nine one that is, and and uh, you know, my parents, I remember um, there was a feeling, it's, it's almost like the beginning of COVID, you know, p- perhaps that's a good analogy. The Islamic mm. Republic is COVID, you know, but, uh, but where, where there was this, this feeling, there was this deep concern or, or profound horror story that you're, you, you, you're hoping doesn't last, but this, this feeling like, well, maybe this is, this will be over in a few months. Maybe some, there, there was no sense that 44 years later, there would be, you know, this Islamic Republic. I mean, things had changed so quickly. It was kind of like, well, maybe this will be done in a few years and we'll Absolutely. go back to some kind of normalcy or the Iran we had or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. No one anticipated 
the length of this and the 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 endurance and brutality of this regime, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, they were somehow trying to, at that time, uh, there were some reformists, or I could better say, uh, the reforming movement was still alive within that government. So you could say from the Khatami time, they opened the Ministry of Airshot, they opened the music, the pop music, even the rock music, that once you didn't dare to speak about rock music because they said mm. it's the voice of Satan, then we had, uh, you know, they gave us the permission to go on stage. Well, that was <laughs> very, uh, I mean, it was about the time because we were already in our 30s. So this is that you're talking about the <laughs> 1990s now. Absolutely. Where you start to play music, you start working with folks like Baba Kamini, who of course we know yes, and yes. Sobhani. Yes. Um do, do you have a sense then at that time that oh, maybe these reforms will lead to a free Iran or were you just grabbing at any kind of freedoms you guys had? Firstly, uh we could say uh, yeah, I I could say um we, we hoped for better days. We thought that maybe the government is trying to somehow um, make another image of itself. At least for making another image of itself, they need us. So there is hope to live a better lifestyle, at least for us, that we are living there. And they started to have some kind of these communications with us. I uh, I had some time of 10 minutes. Khatami saw me. He got the CD, um, the CD, of, uh, I mean, the album from Bobak Amini, which I sang in it. The first album that I had with Bobak. Khatami himself? Yeah, Khatami himself. <laughs> Listen he met to me. the record? He met me, he uh. got the CD, and uh, he spoke to me regarding that, uh, honestly, we wanted to do more for you guys, and we wanted to be wow. more close to you guys, but they don't let us. It was exactly during the time that he was going into his second elections, second time, second four years of election. Okay. It was the 1st of January of 2001. So yeah, I told him that uh, the situation is not so lovely. And again, the, lots of my generation are going out, out country and yeah. they may not get back. He said, yeah, I just understand you and if you go out, but please come back because these guys, if you just, all of you go, then these gates will not be It's amazing he open. was that open about yes. his disagreements with the, or separating himself from the regime, saying, I'm trying to do as much as I can. But, Absolutely. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, I guess you have the push and pull at that point of mm. you have some music that you can start performing or recording, mm -hmm. but but you can't be busting out rock songs or, or I mean, there has to be some, it has to be acceptable. I mean, Bobak uh, M&E told this crazy story a couple of years ago when he was on the show uh, the first time, I remember it was about three years ago, where he said one of his first albums, the Airshaw didn't allow. And I'll, I'll always remember that story because it's it's an album of instrumental guitar. Yes, his <laughs> first go, album. How yes. can this be offensive to to anyone? I mean, this is why I could never get my head around the 
weird hypocrisies and contradictions and lack of any sense of this Ershad thing because it's like, well, I get it if you're if you're playing a Motley Crue song and going and doing the devil sign, but I mean, uh, an acoustic like a guitar, a classical guitar album. What what is the offensive part of that? So you're at that time experiencing some freedoms, but somehow in the middle of what is allowed and not allowed, right? Absolutely, I can give an example to you. For Bobak, I remember when he prepared that album, he was like maybe 16 or 17 years old. But they kept that album all because he was young, talented, and good looking. So that was why. They just kept the album for several years that he got into his 20s and then they gave the permission. Or for me, I was in my, I can say I was 24 years old when we started the album On Shadow, Sayyid with Bobak. I remember the day that we uh, took the pictures and for the cover of the album, we should also get the permission. So me and Bobak went to the uh, Airshot office and the guy over there took a look at my picture and said, huh, you wanna get famous? Okay, these pictures, oh no, no, no. Uh, use the one that is, uh, your your face is not, uh, you know, oh not, not so clear. Right. And don't be in a hurry, you will be famous someday, but not now. So uh, what we did at that time, uh, we did somehow a policy that our good friend, uh, Peter Soleimanipur, peace be upon his soul, he just, we, we, he uh, passed away several mm-hmm. years ago. So uh, Peter was also a very great uh, um, graphist. So we got two covers for that. One cover with which was a painting that originally we, uh, somehow the band of the cover was somehow in the in the music stores they could see that and that was because of Earthshot but at the back was my picture sorry what was offensive <laughs> about your picture they maybe just thought that Too my good face looking. maybe maybe <laughs> that face for that day it's was uh, madness <laughs> to me and it's all madness it's all madness what does yeah, your face uh, and by the way, we talk about gender apartheid and how hard it's been for women. You're not even a woman. This is happening to you as a as a man in in the. I mean, obviously, it was a lot worse. It's, it continues to be a lot worse for women in terms of not even be, being being mm-hmm. able to sing or record. Mm-hmm. But you you can't put your face on uh, because somehow that is going to offend Islam. Your Abs- face, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, about a few years after that, a couple of my friends who had this uh, successful show in TV, there were TV series. Um, so uh, they, it, it was one of the episodes that they wanted uh, an artist, a music artist, who can somehow, you know, um, the story was about a musician who was so narcissist, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to use the normal artists for that i mean the actors for that they wanted uh. a musician to mock and you know this thing and you know so make it somehow a caricature of himself so uh it took 24 to 48 hours two days that they gave the permission to him i mean from the te- television of iran and they said you must change the story in a way that this young man is the bad person of the <laughs> Right. Yeah. right. Because if we, we can't a, have a musician looking like a good person. Actually, right, yes. Right, he right. should be a very shallow, low person. And in a, in a way right. that when, when that uh, episode is finished, people just hate him. Wow. Not love him. Right. <laughs> 
Do you? So uh, in the '90s, you're playing in this band called Raza Shab. Yes. Which is like Secrets of the Night. Yeah. Is that? I was gonna say. Do you, yeah. Do, do you remember any songs from? Absolutely. Okay, right. Raza Shab, and I can tell you, Raza Shab was firstly Esme Shab. Esme uh, Shab, you know, uh, they use it like a secret password in army. Um, places, uh, especially during the war, they say Esmishab. There's a password that they say and the gates the are open. The name of night? What does it mean, Esmishab? Esmishab means the name of night, uh-huh. but usually in Farsi, when we say Esmishab, Esmishab is an army thing, is when they say there's a password okay. in, in the army Why places. didn't you stick with Esmishab then? We wanted to say, you know, because the, the place that we worked in and we um, had our rehearsals, before that, Gugush used to come to that place mm-hmm. and um, have this have her first rehearsals after several years to prepare the album Zartosht with Bob Akter. And at that time, they said, uh, Mr. Kimiai, who went there, he said, I'm, I just look here and I'm thinking of partisan places. <laughs> it's like a partisan place. So we had these rehearsals there and firstly we named our band Esmeshab. But Ershad said, no, 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 this is like army, and uh, no, mm. this uh, just change it to another thing. So we change it to Raza Shab, The mm. Secret of Night. By the way, before you, mm-hmm. you uh, you're going to play a little <laughs> bit of Raza Shab, something from Raza Shab, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, curious sure. to hear. But, but why do, I mean, the fact that everybody seems to know each other, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, um, you know, you're in the rehearsal space of Gugush, and you're working with Baba Kamini and R. Sobhani, is it that... The, the 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 pool of people playing this music in Tehran was so small that you all know each other, or is it that I just happened to on this show we just happened to have met all the famous people, uh, and there was thousands <laughs> of others, and you guys are just the people who knew each other. I mean, it's very interesting that yeah. you all knew each other. I mean, yes, these pe- yes. people who've gone on to become some of the the bigger names in in our global Iranian music community. You know? Absolutely. We, you know, firstly, maybe uh, during our teenage times, we were, sli- we were like separate islands. But gradually, we found ourselves because uh, there were always people who they had, you know, parties or throwing gatherings in their, in their homes. So that culture that remained living in Tehran uh, was not so, you know, uh, didn't have a great population. Well, we were not so many people there. So gradually we found ourselves. I remember that the first time I listened to Bobak, to Arash, to Arash Sobhani, I was in high school. I didn't mm. know Arash Sobhani, but there was a band called Tatar 2, Tatars. Mm. And uh, the cassette of them came. So it was Arash Sobhani, Shahruz Molai, uh, Bobak Mikhani, and I listened to that. The guy who knew them was Babak Khiafchi, a great friend. I was going to say, you probably know Babak Khiafchi. Babak Khiafchi is my mentor. Oh, okay. My mentor to the music, all to right. guitar. Now to in everything. Seattle. Now so in everybody's Seattle. all over the place. And what, yeah. you probably know Arash Mitui. You prob- Absolutely. Yeah, you probably saw. So I, I, now I know all of these yeah. and, and yeah. maybe Reza yeah. Mogadas. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. All yeah. of them. And I can tell you that at that time, Tehran was not so large. Still, the best schools for the, I can say, the people who still had the culture from before. I could tell in um, in the areas of six, area six of Tehran, area three, area one. So these schools, these people that we are speaking about were uh, 
from all these schools that there were also communications between people okay. and we found each other. So yeah, and Reza Mogaddasan, Baba Khiyav Chibi were in the same neighborhood. So always they were there. They were, they were older than me, like two or three years. But uh, also I had a neighbor, Naim Sobhani. Naim was a great drummer since his uh, childhood time. Related to Arash or not related? Related to Baba Khiyavchi. Okay. Naim was my neighbor. But he's a Sobhani? Yes, right. he's a Sobhani. He, he is a, a lot of Sobhanis running around, I guess. Yes. Uh. <laughs> but Naim, Naim was Baha'i uh-huh. and he was a great guy and uh, I loved him. So he, firstly, he was the first mentor. Then uh, Baba Khiyavchi, because he was a very good friend of Naim. But as Naim was a drummer and Baba was a guitarist, so... I got my guitar and, you know, Bobak shared lots of things with me. So so, yeah. so here, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a song from Raza Shab mm-hmm. that would not have been accepted by Ershad? Uh, do, you, do you know any songs? Do you remember any songs that you guys had that you had to not put, not not record or not? Uh, not uh, not recording, but they wanted to change it somehow. Uh, the song. Uh, Can you play it? I mean, what, 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 absolutely. What, I want to know the taboo song. Absolutely, absolutely. Ra- <laughs> the song that you may have heard it from Kiosk Tarane, uh-huh. actually. Uh-huh. Uh, firstly, Arash after uh, wrote that song and wrote the lyrics. Uh, we played it in Raza Shab too, but it was one of the songs that uh, the guys in Airshot very funny. They just wanted to change the lyrics. For instance, there was a time that we say in the song. <laughs> عشق تو اسیرم میگفتی بی تو من میمیرم حالا میگی فکراتو کردی نظرت عوض شد The guy said You are telling this to a woman That you thoughts for yourself And you changed your mind about me No 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 You should say حالا من فکرامو کردم قسمتم قفص شد So the woman was supposed to say uh, Okay now that I changed my mind I have to be in cage Oh my god <laughs> Do you end up changing the lyrics? No, no. not at all. So what we did, what we did, we firstly, in a copy that we gave to them, we used to sing it the way that they wanted. But on stage, we did it different. Mm. But this song specifically uh, didn't go to Airshot after that because Arash went out of Iran and he just wanted to include it in the album with Kiusk. So we just played it in our very last concert in Niavaran Palace right. in the Cinematheque of Shah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you want to play a little bit of a Raza Shab song? Absolutely. You need to give us 30 seconds of something. Raza Shab, as man be porsche khabam gistich. Raza Shab, hezar tu gistich dar pich. Ham shab bidaram bidar tau sahar. تا به دستارم زراز او خبر راز شب رازی که دل آگاه نیست مقصد ما دور و رحموار نیست در این راه رسیدن پایان نیست Got kind of a rockabilly sound. Yeah, you were absolutely. into Elvis. Yes, I which was. is weird because you're <laughs> quite young to be into Elvis. But, <laughs> but, but that was one. That's one of your uh, Elvis Presley. That is, it's one of your influences, absolutely. huh? Yes, absolutely. There was a time that 
I can tell it was in a, a bombing of Tehran uh, during the time that Iraq sent the rockets to Iran. Mm-hmm. So uh, at that time, I got the guitar. And one of my friends gave me this old Sony CHF cassette. You know, <laughs> they remember, you, you remember the yeah, old I remember ones. cassettes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 90 minute cassettes oh. <laughs> more like expensive one yeah, yeah 45 minutes on each side <laughs> right, right, so yeah right. so uh it was uh somehow great selection of elus presley and my parents were so uh they were huge fans of him they also uh recorded um, a video a video cassette at that time they were the sony small cassettes if you remember and it was uh somehow a, a history of rock mm. So I had some, I had some visuals of Elvis. The way this is like mid eighties, late eighties. Mid eighties, yeah. exactly. It so it's, started, it's actually ten years after Elvis has died. You know, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So it started from uh, the black movement in rock and roll. Little Richard started from that point and got all the way to Led Zeppelin, Kiss. Wow. Yes, this is all on one cassette. Yes, all, all on one cassette. <laughs> the history of rock for Human to explore. <laughs> and That's you can a- imagine that at that time that I was like. Like 13 years old or 14 years old, it was a great thing to have somehow, you know, a, a summarized grasp to the right. whole thing. Yes. So it was blowing your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Did you, I mean, did you think at that point, because I know, of course, you go on to become, do, do a, an MA in architecture and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, did, did you think music was something that you would have pursued a, as a career if it were available to you in Iran? Absolutely. I can honestly say that from that time, uh, I can remember that my uh, parents emphasized on this point that uh, I have to have a profession other than music, which it can it could be architecture because I love to design homes. I love to, uh, you know, at that time, I love to uh, be involved in somehow in construction business and these things. So they uh, emphasized on that. But I, I could tell if there were other times, there were just normal times, like what we had before the revolution in Iran, for sure it would be my mm. one and only job. Did and it feel like somehow, because you, you did record a number of albums between 1999 and 2012, yes. um, and at the same time you were doing architecture. I mean, did it feel like on some level you're living some kind of a double life? Yes, yes, that happened to me. I was somehow... But I can tell you honestly that uh, if I put my all efforts on music, uh, maybe the situation was in a way that I would stand in a better place than what I am right now. How so? Yeah, because when you separate your energy, it's obvious that uh, you don't put all your energy on the thing that you have your own passion. Even when I came to Canada in 2014, uh, I just held on to whatever happened in the past again i got the job in construction and did some small music things but what happened i can tell you the miracle happened when after the during the pandemic Mm -hmm. that everybody's job was either lost or they were remotely working from home so both happened to me (laughs) firstly remotely working on home then losing that job Mm -hmm. and you know doing lots of other things you know when you come to Canada in older times you have to do several things but what happened gradually I got back to music I had more time for music but this time mostly with the students with the newer generation that I want to uh, teach them 
my experiences yeah. and also for the ladies and uh, women and ladies uh, around my age who didn't have time or didn't have the opportunity the chance, maybe, yeah, yeah. chance to sing in Iran and now here that they have a more stable life now they want to leave their passion so mm. this is a great experience that did I you now. tell me about the decision to come to Canada in 2014 mm-hmm. why why did you I mean it's not a surprise a lot of people have left Iran that's the whole point of our show although mm-hmm. you know but uh, people in the diaspora who are Iranians but but uh, why that point I mean why not earlier or later what what was the the trigger for you to say that's it I'm done let's go well uh, I can honestly say was for my for our children I mean me and Massa we just thought that we don't want to Whatever happened to us and to our lives, we didn't want to happen to our children. And uh, it started in, twin, in 2009 when the Green Movement happened, you know, all these, all those things yeah. regarding the elections and mm-hmm. Ahmadinejad. Uh, I remember the day that Khamenei came to that um, prayers of Jom'eh and he uh, just exposed his anger and he said, I will speak worse next time. And from that you know, remember that you remember that from that time, the the situation got more brutal. Of course, and they started killing yeah. people. Yeah. So at that time, I just grabbed the phone. I spoke to two person. Firstly, I saw Hani, then Bobakamini. I was thinking uh, either America or Canada. And uh, well, gradually we uh, just after we studied the situation, we thought that maybe here is more family friendly. Human, you've said something. Um you said no matter where we are as Iranians, we still have so much of the Islamic Republic in our DNA. Yes. It's quite a macabre. It's a dark thing to say. Mm-hmm. W- what do you mean by that? I don't want to name guys or organizations, but still, still when you come here, still when you come out of Iran, we say we, we, we see that... Uh, in community, in our Iranian community, the selective approach. I mean, people who came, who, who come to a situation that they can choose which artist can be here or cannot be here, who can, who has the, who, who, who can be in our circle of friends or circle of trust. Mm. So um, still this happens here. I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to name that, but uh, it makes me it makes me so sad because still I see uh, what I thought from here, and especially during these past months, that this anger or sadness brought the hearts close to each other. So I thought now we can be more honest to ourselves mm-hmm. and we can work more with you know, in a way that everybody is here, everybody is um, invited, but it's not like that. Well, well, what you're saying is not actually, um, you know, out of school, as they say. I mean, this is this. There's studies to show. Look, we had last week. This time, we had uh, Dr. Fatali Mokadam, mm-hmm. the psychologist on the show, and and who's just written a new book uh, about this very subject, where he says. Um, I mean, he's speaking about people in general, but he's Iranian and talks about Iranians, where there's a a continuity to behavior Mm -hmm. that is very, very hard to change. 
you can have a revolution even and change some of the the surface as he says you know uh and it could be good change you know okay women don't have to wear the hijab or whatever but in terms of the behavior uh, and especially behavior weaned and honed under, let's say, the last four decades of dictatorship, um, the distrust, the the um, individuality, the lack of working as a collective, the guards, the guards, mm-hmm. those things are really hard to undo. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 quality about Iranians? Um, it makes you the most sad in terms of that DNA that you say we carry from the Islamic Republic. The best thing you said right now, you pointed to that, distrust, distrust and fear, I can say. People are fear. People have fear to expose themselves because most of us and mostly the people who lived more of, more of their lives during the Islamic Revolution in Iran, uh, we have two lives. One is exposed on the streets or for the permissions or on the stage or in our offices, and one is behind the doors, behind the doors. So uh, people maybe are afraid to live in, a, in, in just one face, in the real face. And uh, the other thing is uh, the jealousy. And I don't know why. Because there is, there is enough space and yeah. enough opportunity for everyone. Why we are not uh, happy for others' happiness? We, yeah. Why we don't we, want to see others' success? Yes, that does seem to be a pattern where, and, and dare I say, we're seeing it somewhat reflected, uh, reflected in when somebody becomes, pops up as one of these potential leadership uh, um, public figures uh, in the diaspora, that then there is a, a pylon, a mobbing of bringing that person down. Absolutely, and you can uh, see it right now. You can see it in the movement yeah. that the leaders come up, and every day the posts that people put in the stories, they're trying to just do it with every face that they see is yeah. leading. It does feel yeah. a bit like I mean, all everyone's getting attacked. For me. I mean, it's, it's a circular fi- firing squad from inside the community, and and you kind of go, what, what, where is this? How, how do we? How do we undo this, as we say, this this kind of uh, behavior? On the flip side, there are also, there are also those moments where we feel tremendous unity, and we feel um, whether it's that you know Toronto, those huge protests, or Absolutely. Berlin, or uh, L.A. A couple of weeks ago, we've got Gaylada Shaboni coming up in a few minutes, and mm. I'll ask her about her experience. Um, I guess it was last week or a couple of weeks ago with that massive rally in L.A. and Reza Pahlavi there, and all of that. So the seeds of some unity are there. Tell me what you mean by, I mentioned it in the introduction to you. Uh, Tell me what you mean when you say uh, Iranians outside of Iran that are not speaking out are potatoes. And I, I, I well, you know, I, you, you've, it's got to be fair for me to bring that up because that no. video has got about four hundred thousand views. Yes. So yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was regarding the very first days of the movement. Mm-hmm. It was in October. We were, yes, it was, yeah, October. We were trying to somehow, um, you know, be expose our truthfulness and uh, what we are, what we really are, where we are standing with all those bloodshed that is happening on the streets in Iran, can we think of our business now, the business that is connected to that bloody government? Or can we just for a few seconds just leave our 
luxurious life, share less party pictures and restaurant and these things and think about Iran and think about all those young people mm -hmm. that they have nothing. They just have their uh, innocent lives in their hands. It's what we say in Iran, <laughs> innocent lives in their hands. They come to the streets and shout for something that you will also benefit from that. So now, how can you just turn off your Instagram or just be a watcher? Don't be a potato, please. That was all, all I was trying to say. And lots of people, they just sent me direct messages and why, why you are insulting us. <laughs> what do you know about our lives? Yeah, and so. You're insulting potatoes. Yes, insulting yeah. potatoes. Uh, I'm sure you got a, a majority of people saying thank you because uh, mm -hmm. it certainly was a popular post as well. But um, it, it's, it continues to be an interesting conversation though, six months in now. Yeah. Noruz is coming up yes. and there's, there's people who are going to have gala parties, and uh, it's it's quite confused. Uh, I find that 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 on the one hand, there's people in the community saying, you know, don't play concerts, and then on the other hand, there's people um, selling five hundred dollar tickets for just a uh, a gala party with no pre pretense to anything, not even fundraising, nothing. Just like let's uh, absolutely, and and I don't know what's right at this point. I don't know what what we're supposed to do, but it does feel like that is creating more confusion in terms of um, whether we're potatoes or not. Absolutely, but what I what I was trying to say is not like uh, you have to halt your life, you have to pause your life and just uh, be in grief for several months or even years. Life is there, you have to live your life, but you can live it at least in a manner, at least expose it in a manner that you're respond, res, res, respecting whatever happens. Yes. That was what I was trying. I was trying to say. And right now, what is happening out there? Uh, unfortunately, lots of people just think that okay, whatever was supposed to happen is happening. Now we can just get back to the normal life. Or whatever is supposed to happen didn't happen. Absolutely. So let's get out absolutely. Of yeah. It's too soon to normalize everything. Yeah. Nothing is normal. Um, do you? Do you, I'm going to ask you to play a song. There's a couple of songs that you've. Um, you've recorded or you put videos out of mm -hmm. uh, in the last in recent months in connection to the uprising. One was um, Hami Rahat Kaveh. How do I say that? The, 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 Hami Rahat Kaveh. Hami Rahat Kaveh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, which in the first weeks, first couple of weeks after Masa Amini was killed, yes, you posted that song. Yeah. That's a, a famous old poem, is it? That's a famous f old poem from Adib Khorasani, uh -huh. but the uh, music is from Amir Aram, and it was from 80s. So this was one of the songs that we used to sing uh, during that time. And what does that you know, song, uh, uh, what, what, what is it, what's the connection you felt? It is somehow, but uh, there, are, uh, there are different ideas. Some say they are showing the, I mean, some people say, some religious people say, the, um, the meaning of the lyrics is, is about the glorious of Islam, but it's not, it's not like that. It, the, the words and the lyrics shows it is speaking somehow from the glory days of Iran, ancient Iran, and what is happening to us right now. But the uh, surprising thing is not from uh, the, the time of the poem is uh, during the Mashrute, not like not right now. So mm. this is from those times. But when you sing it and when you listen to it, it's like they are seeing everything from now. It's again like those black holes that I told. Like Do you want to give us a little bit of absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. 
برخیز شطور بانا بربند کجاوه که از شرق ایان گشت امیرایت کاوه از شاخ شجر برخاست آبای چکاوه و از طول سفر حسرت من گشت علاوه به شتابندر از رود سماوه در دیده من بنگر در یاچه ساوه ماییم که از خاک بر افلاک رساندیم خاک حرب از شب به اقصا گذراندیم دریای شمالی را بر شهر نشاندیم و از بحر جنوبی به فلکت فشاندیم Nicely done. The other song you've been doing is uh, is, a, is a kiosk song mm-hmm. called Motaham, which is uh, um, the, the defendant. Yes. Uh, and you dedicated that to the prisoners in, in yeah. Iran, especially the political prisoners. Yeah. Why did you want to do that song? Uh, I remember that, uh, firstly, Arash. Arash played it, like just a simple camera and just a post like this. And it was uh, from another album, like uh, I, I think from 2019. تشکیلات موازی so uh, Arash in, I think it was in December, November or December Arash played it again and said uh, this is from that time but it looks like I just wrote it from this time so uh, I listened to it and just called him and said uh, I want my version on it how about mm. that and Arash said it's okay so firstly I wanted to play it Uh, completely other version I mean respecting the melody but another arrangement but at, as we had lit- very less little time and the, the uh, you know the uh, the speed of uh, happenings were uh, much more uh, dense mm-hmm. in comparing to here I mean this time that we are having this interview so at that time we just thought that maybe sticking to the music that we had that time uh, just changing the lyrics I mean uh, sorry changing the vocals switching to me but we kept also Arash there so uh, yeah the Kiosk guys are playing on this song right yes. the recording yeah yeah. yeah yeah with you singing it um, the, I mean the the recording the records were ready uh, from the time ah, before ah, I just I had so a brand new vocal ah, line ah, on ah, it yes ah, you, yeah. you replaced poor Arash's vocal and yes <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> with, with your amazing voice, I don't know if you want to play a a, a bit of that. I, it's up to you, uh, uh, because you were you were going to play a song for us at the end here yeah. that you picked. Yeah. yeah Before yeah. we get to that, um, just 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 out of curiosity, because you said that you had that meeting with Khatami mm-hmm. back in, I guess it'd be over twenty years ago now. You know, a lot has been said about the the reformists mm-hmm. uh, recently, and of course. One of the ways we are unified as a global Iranian community, it seems these days, is that no one has any time for reform anymore. Now it's yeah. regime change. Um, when you think about Khatami and, and that moment where he was promising, uh, not just you, but there was a promise in Iran of things are going to change, things are going to get better, we're going to, within this system, somehow make things better. Do you feel sad for that time or do you feel angry that um, we bought into reformism for a while and hoped that that would fix things? For sure, I get, I get angry because what I, when I look at those days from now, I think that he was either not honest 
to himself or not to us or not honest to either both so it was just a waste of t- waste of time yeah uh, i got angry i got angry and i think that all those years that we waited and we just thought that maybe there is a real reformism happening there it was just uh mending a picture of themselves yeah uh, in the global um, community it and it ended up just prolonging the absolutely the bullshit absolutely or making it worse absolutely. as it is now yeah makeup over uh, a beast maybe make having some kind of beauty beautiful mm-hmm. makeup mm-hmm. but over a beast face right right um who man it's such a pleasure to have you here thank you you're going to play us a song uh, before we we let you you go what did mm. you choose to play for us uh <laughs> Well, when I saw those people, those those young people on the streets, and I remember from the 80s that I, there were lots of songs that they had, uh, we could say, the rock anthem in them, like from Black Sabbath, The Paranoid, from uh, Iron Maiden, The Running Free, and from Judas Priest, Breaking the Law. <laughs> you, you, you want to play Breaking the Law by Judas Breaking Priest? Breaking the Law, because I think... The English metal band... Absolutely. Judas Priest. Judas Priest. And uh, from the album, I think it was British Blade. Arguably and their biggest song. <laughs> and uh, I think that song, I'm pretty sure that song would have come out like, say, 1980. Yes. So right at the time of the yes. other, uh, the, 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 the yeah. Islamic re- Republic taking uh, control. Absolutely. So interesting song to pick. <laughs> Especially <laughs> on acoustic guitar. Uh, yes. All right. <laughs> Judas Priest, Breaking the Law, Humana Javid in our studio. Completely wasted, out of work and down All inside is so frustrated, it's a different town to town Feel as though nobody cares if I live or die So I might as well begin to put some action in my life Breaking the law, breaking the law 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 So much for the golden future I can't even start I have every promise broken There's anger in my heart You don't know what it's like You don't have a clue If you think you'll find yourself Doing the same things too Breaking the law, breaking the law Breaking the law, breaking the law Breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law. Wowza! Live in the Rook Studio, <laughs> performing the the song "Breaking the Law." That's a, that's got to be a Rook first, a Judas Priest song. Being uh, who needs Rob Halford? Listen to you with the Rook, the the, the rock vocals. It's and a, I and I saw him. You know, in 2017, it was the third year I was here. And I went with Ali Kamali, uh, the bass player, bass, yeah, yeah. bass player, and uh, we had a great place with uh, great price. It was like a, it was like a miracle happened. Floor at the center, just a few rows to the singer, and he sang that sang that song. Well, he, I mean, you, you could have replaced him with that oh uh, that God. your vocal performance, and you're here in a studio sitting <laughs> sitting playing your acoustic guitar. Uh, tell me why that song 
makes sense to you at this point, breaking the law? Why is that? Why does that make sense to you at, the, at this moment with this uh, uh, regime and and Iranians' desire for change? If you listen to the lyrics, as you can see, you can you can hear our young people. All the lyrics is about the promises that was not uh, that was uh, not happened, and all those. He said, uh, "So much for the golden future. I could never start. I have every promise broken. There's anger in my heart." Yeah, the closest to what those people are it's saying. It's true. It's kind of the perfect revolution song yes. for, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I wished we could somehow have Farsi uh, lyrics for that, but it just kills the soul of it. It needs to be in English. <laughs> you tried? <laughs> yeah, I, I spoke to some people because I cannot write. Uh -huh. uh, maybe occasionally I can, but I spoke to some people, but I couldn't find anything. So I just thought that maybe... It's like Haley uh, Asaboni yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Doesn't work. <laughs> and it needs the British accent. <laughs> Um, uh, Human, I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate you sharing your your stories, giving us insights of uh, what so life has been like for you and why you're so passionate about this moment for Iran as well. Merci and uh, to be continued. Thank you so much, Jan, and I appreciate uh, for this consideration because I've always been an independent artist, so uh, not so in lots of places that you can see other artists, but this means a lot to me, and I hope for more productions and more cooperations with your great team. Thank you so much Amazing. for today. Merci. Thank you. Cheers. Merci. to Rook, episode 241, The Sounds of Change. My next guest is a singer, songwriter, recording artist who started her music career as an underground musician in Iran. And then after releasing her first song, she was officially banned by the Islamic Republic regime. She was also arrested in Iran. And eventually she had no other choice, of course, but to leave Iran for good. Gelare Shebani then started performing in clubs in various venues in different countries, including China, Malaysia, India, Turkey. She's had quite a journey. She finally made her way to the United States last year, and she's been one of the active and engaged diaspora voices of the current uprising for freedom in Iran. And right now, it's a pleasure to welcome Gelare Shebani back to Rook, joining us from Los Angeles today. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm so happy to be here again. Thank you so much for having me. It's really nice to have you back on the show. And we, you know, we're at that point in this uprising where um, we can have people back on the show who were on during the uprising. In other words, it's stretched this long now and will continue to. Um, you were on, the last time you were on our show was, uh, it was actually right after Massa I mean, he was killed. And, and it, was yeah. the, it was the end of September, I think, you were on. And at the time, you know, we were all in shock and, and this, the uprising was, you know, really percolating, building. And when I asked you how you were doing at that point, you said, I am overwhelmed. Uh, I am confused, overwhelmed, and angry. Um, t are you still feeling that way? Tell me how the last few months since then have been for you. 
Uh, definitely, I'm still feeling all those uh, things. I'm still angry. I've been angry, <laughs> you know, and since I remember, since I couldn't do anything in Iran as a singer, as a woman. A lot of feelings and emotions has have added to that. And um, it's a, it's been really crazy, you know, because I just moved here and uh, my life, like my personal life also um, is not secured, is not, which I always experience this, but uh, also all of these things um, has been added to it. So yeah, I've been feeling um, not that confused because I know it's a war and I know it's a revolution and I know it takes time to grow and reach that point so and we as a nation um, can reach that goal that we all have uh, but yeah it's been it's been pretty crazy journey when you say when you say some emotions have been added to overwhelmed and angry what would you add well um i try to be more calm and acceptive of whatever is happening and um, try to reach to a peace inside of me but i also uh, i'm reading a lot of history um i like to get more engaged uh, intellectually uh, to what i can do as an individual and as an artist um in this uh, revolutionary path so um well i still have all those emotions but a sense of unity and a sense of uh, belief that I'm getting from the people who are not Iranian and they want this revolution to have a result is added uh, to mm, my collection of emotions. And uh, non-Iranians, you're hearing that from non-Iranians, non-Iranians. Who, yeah. who, who in particular are you talking about when you say non-Iranians who are supporting us? So uh, when I came here uh, in LA, the la the first week, uh, I was invited to a circle singing, and um, I met these people. Um, they are American mostly, and uh, from all over the world actually. And they are a group, and they are they were really impressed by Iran Revolution, and they started to do whatever they can um, as a production creating contents and um, to raise awareness about what is happening in Iran and uh, what the women women and men in Iran, how they are fighting to get their freedom. Mm. So it was really inspiring for me that uh, this is, so this is not only an Iranian revolution. I see the change in so many people all around the world. So I immediately joined them and I thought that, okay, now it's my mission too. So um, I can give them all the information I have personally and whatever I am, uh, you know, um, scanning and learning and seeing uh, to what's happening in my country and give them the information so they can raise awareness yeah. to all the people around the world. You know, just uh, um, parenthetically, Geller, when, you, when you're talking about that, it's so... 
I, I, I'm reflecting on the fact that, especially early on when this uprising was happening and we wanted attention from the West and we wanted attention from non-Iranians, we would say, you know, we as Iranians uh, in the diaspora, for example, have supported Black Lives Matter. Now it's your turn yeah. to support us. But the flip side is true too, where I, I, I you're so right. When I see... When, when we see and feel how important it is to us and how good it feels to have non-Iranians, um, you know, neighbors of mine on my street who ask me what's going on and how they can help, I mean, uh, who are not Iranian, uh, one is so inspired by that that it's a reminder that, you know, if we play that role for others, whether it's Ukraine or Pakistan or uh, Peru, you know, uh, it will mean a lot to them too, you know, this universality that you're speaking to. You know, this is really, really important. I think this is the core and this is our, the winning card, I don't know, is that we're really getting to the unity of the real meaning, meaning of unity and friendship and peace itself. Because we've been programmed by this government for a long time. They kept us in the darkness and there are so many things in our subconscious mind that we are not aware of it. And that's the point where they can, um, you know, play us again. Can I, can I ask you, Gellera, what might, might um, I don't know if this is a philosophical question or a practical one, and um, and it's almost not, not a fun question to ask, but, uh, you know, you use the word peace a lot. There are people who believe that the only way we're going to be able to counter um, all of the violence and the brutality, the torture, the executions, the, the killing of kids in the streets of this regime is through violence of our own. In other words, there has to be some kind of pushback um, and that we won't be able to accomplish the mission of toppling this regime through peace itself. What, what do you say to those folks? I think violence is never the answer, if you ask me. <laughs> Because if you do violence against something like that will happen in the next, you know, round, in the next circle. Mm -hmm. So I believe the, the real meaning of the peace is that we know ourselves first. And then when we realize that all of us, we are the same and all of us, we have these flaws and all of us, we have this uh, rage or whatever you want to call it inside of us or that ego then we can reach to a point that we can accept each other and um, uh, we can take it from there because when there is a unity it's like a tsunami mm -hmm. no nothing can stand I got you, you know yeah. in front of that you're you're i mean I, that was a great answer I, um let let me let me try it this way and see if this uh i mean maybe this is just silly but but so if if you're sta if right now today you had the occasion to be standing in front of I an ayatollah, <laughs> you know, one of the people okay. who run. And I this. have the power. <laughs> well, 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 my my question is, do you want to make peace with that person, or do you want to uh, express anger with them, or or how how do you approach that? I don't think killing or. Um, you know, this is beneath what we want to create. We, we, we should have a picture of the future. We should have a picture of what that world is that 
a power like that, a dark power like that can never dominate us again. If we have that picture in our mind, I don't think all of us will reach to a place. I hope that violence is not an answer. It's a really, and there are more yeah. smarter ways, you yeah. know, to get to our goal. It's a very sophisticated uh, uh, journey, that, and I, I appreciate what you're saying. And you have more than, I mean, as much as anyone, uh, your reason to want revenge want to want to, I, do. I mean not just not just in terms of what they've done to you but i mean if i recall correctly um your dear uh, late father didn't die that long ago and you could not go to attend the funeral in iran because your persona non grata and and this is the kind of thing we've been living with with this regime and it's it's pretty devastating you know I have the revenge feeling in me, Jen. I do have it. I don't say that I am, I don't have, I have all of those more than anybody else, but I'm not going to act on them mm. because, because of the next generation, because I believe we have to make it right once and for all. When we spoke in September, you, you talked about how much you believed in this new generation and you were one of the first for, for at that point we weren't even really calling it a a revolution but you were quite positive that this is a revolution and um tell tell me about obviously you know there's been peaks and valleys over the last 6 months and and there's been people who some folks out there who've been deflated or who've um translated lack of millions being in the streets in Iran these days as evidence that this thing has petered out for now or that, uh, you know, the regime cannot be overcome anytime soon. Are you as enthusiastic still about um, the path we're on with this uprising as you were in September? I am. And uh, I, I believe the revolution already has happened. And now it's a matter of the time because it's it was a huge paradigm shift for all the people around the world i see the people non-iranian people that they mind their mindset about their government has 100 percent has changed because now they are seeing the world differently well that that's true that that that, I mean, that's that's definitely it's, it's actually an amazing way to phrase it. The revolution's already happened in terms of the way you're looking at a, a, a mind shift, as you say, a paradigm shift in the way. I mean, even if you just just look at Iranians, uh, there's now de facto unity amongst Iranians that this that they don't want this regime and that the regime has to be changed. There's no chance of reform or anything like that, and that that is revolutionary. At the same time. The revolution hasn't happened, has it? Because there are still people being imprisoned in Iran and executed and living in dire circumstances with the economy at present and unable to express themselves and all of the things that we know about this treacherous regime. So we're, we're, we're the deed isn't done in terms of even toppling this, this regime, let alone the revolution playing out in terms of what comes next, right? Um. Yes, and um, even I see the. I lived in China, for example, for five years, and I know uh, the Chinese mindset in, a little bit in business, in, in social life, and I see the twenty-year-old Chinese 
don't like separation. They don't have the illusion of separation because they have this unity all together. So eventually the new generation, you know, won't let the older, oldest generation to, you know, decide for them because it's going to be their time. That's a great way to put it. I, I appreciate what you're saying. That I I had forgotten that you spent that much time in China. That's a that's what what lesson. I mean, I, I can't let you just get, say that. And not not. I mean, it's too interesting to me. Tell tell me something you learned from your experience in China that you can educate us us on. Unity. You know, the people they have this huge unity together, and they just. Um, accept each other very easily is that right you that's, feel that's you feel I, more collective unity in the chinese community than you do say amongst the yeah, yeah yeah a lot hmm. they they have the this tendency the willing to be in a group not only individuals you know you're really you're a really strong person you know after i mean you as some uh, you know this woman who um wanted to have a music career in Iran, couldn't do so, ends up going through all these uh, these countries um, solo. I mean, doing this, you know, I, I mean, it's a, it's quite a story. You know, I think we, we tend to hear so many of these stories or something similar to them in the Iranian community that we don't realize how uh, incredibly um, strong you, you, you are and how you have to be compared to, you know, uh, a young female singer in Canada who would grow up here and not have all those obstacles, you know? Yes, exactly. This is true. Sometimes I tell my friends, I feel like I am titanium and I don't want to be, <laughs> I want to be fragile. I want to be, you know, I don't, there is no need to be this strong. I mean, it's good. Life already is difficult. But we as Iranians, especially as female Iranian singers, have, you know, have been through a lot. But here I am and I still am standing and I'm still singing and I still, you know, following my dreams. And to me, this is the best uh, way to fight. Just don't give up the lights. That's the best fight that we can do in this path. Geller, That's what I believe. Geller, tell me about performing with Shaheen Najafi uh, in Los Angeles. Well, first of all, um, it was an amazing experience. I felt so uh, privileged and honored to uh, you know, work with Shaheen and uh, be friends with him because, you know, these friendships, you know, means more than mm. a performance. So for me, just being friend with Shaheen and Leili was the one of the best experience I've had since I came here. The performance itself, it was amazing. Shaheen is a amazing performer as everybody knows and uh, it was really interesting for me because when um and also babak amini was there which i really wanted to work with him it was magical he's amazing and uh, it was really cool because when i went to the rehearsal like shahin said you are not a backing vocal and you have to be the dominator and you have to 
it was really amazing for me to see that the artist in his uh, stage of work with his fans that he wants a, a woman with the experience of performance and everything to be in front even wow. in his concert it was really great to see that attitude and um, in sense of performance it was an amazing amazing experience for me i did uh, three shows with uh, shaheen in los angeles uh, atlanta and um, san francisco yeah. yeah, that sounds amazing, and that is a yeah. that is a great cre credit to him uh, to to say you know you 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 go out front. Although you're such an amazing singer, I can understand why he would want you to be out front as well. Um, I, oh, I, thank you. You have a new song that we're actually. Um, I think we're gonna. Is this a debut? Has it been played anywhere? Uh, this new song that you've recorded. Well, uh, it is out on SoundCloud right now, oh, okay. but it's gonna. Uh, come out in other um, platforms uh, like in a couple of days. Okay. And I'm planning to make a music video for it. So, well, yeah. I'm excited to play that. Before we get there, though, let me ask you about um, we obviously witnessed uh, from afar, many of us who couldn't make it there, the big demonstration in Los Angeles last week or about a week and a half ago, February 11th. Um, tell, tell me how that. Yeah. How, how that experience was for you in terms of what is clearly the largest demonstration we've seen so far in the United States. We've had them in Berlin and Toronto, but this was a, a pretty big outpouring from Los Angeles. Um, it felt really powerful, Jan. It, it was amazing. And I, I'm so happy that I went and I could, I mean, be there. Um, the thing that I was talking to you before, like we as Iranians, we, we are programmed to have the illusion of separation by this regime. It, when I went to other rallies, I could feel that. I could feel that people are, oh, they're in this uh, opposition and we are not. Like there was this feeling before, but in this rally, there was not a feeling like that, which was the, the highlight of the energy that was there mm. that everybody's heart was open and everybody had one goal and then people are i saw that unity and i saw that people want to open their heart and accept each other i i felt that and it was really really amazing feeling it was a great program it looked pretty amazing i from in terms of the way it was treated uh, in social media it looked like it was a big day for Reza Pahlavi who uh, I joked on the show looked like it was, he got a rock star reception there was that <laughs> was that what it was like in person or, or or is that just kind of what we saw in in on Instagram well people definitely uh, are respecting him and loving him in sense in a sense that he's very educated and he's um, he knows what he's doing and people are um, uh, coming to a point to give him a chance to show all of that. So, yeah, I could see that. I could see that people are respecting him and people are loving him. And he was a rock star. <laughs> very, yeah, that was a good job. You did a very diplomatic job of that. You said, yeah, you, uh, well done. So uh, so we're going to play this song. It's called Bavaram Bo Khan. Uh, where does this song come from? Is it, is it your own creation? 
Well, I was uh, in Spirit Lab. I was in a space that uh, I told you about um, with my uh, non-Iranian friends. They invited me there. They were writing a song. And actually, they have these songs. It's called We See Your Bravery, which Chris Pan um, produced. And um, I think he used uh, more than 40, 50 uh, singers to sing this song. And um, it's amazing. This is for Iranian uh, people. And I hope you talk with Chris. He's an amazing human being. Yeah, I've seen, and, seen uh, him online. He uh, does seem like a, a real um, spiritual guru as well as being a, yeah, a, great, yeah, a great person to have <laughs> as a supporter. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that we get to play this song. I'm grateful to talk to you. Thank you for this, Gelarjun. It's nice to talk to you again. Nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. Khodafes. Khodafes. Gelare Shebani in Los Angeles. And we will go out on her song, her brand new song, something of a debut here on Rook Bob Adam Khan. This is Gelare Shebani. This is full time for Rook for today. Remember, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, for all things Rook related and to become a Rook member on our Patreon page. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together Roham. Hanuman Egin, Anahita, Super Parisa, Pega, Merit and Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi. Mizumbashin. Don't